Take your Bibles this morning, turn to John chapter 12. We're going to look a little bit beyond the birth of Christ, uh, basically to the end of his ministry this morning, and uh, just pray God will bless his word to our hearts today. Father, I thank you for the word of God. I thank you, God, for the privilege of sharing your word this morning. I pray, O oh God, this morning that, that faith would arise in the hearts of people today through the power of your word. I pray you would minister encouragement to those who are discouraged. I pray that you would minister forgiveness to those who have come in carrying a weight of guilt, sin, loss. I pray, O oh God, that you would replace hopelessness with hope today. That you would give peace, Lord, in the midst of storm today. You'd bring light in the midst of darkness today. Thank you, God. Thank you for the power of your word. Pray your blessing on it in Jesus' name. Amen. John 12, starting in verse 9, when the large crowd of the Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. And then there's the Palm Sunday event. Verse 16, his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him, had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was they heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. The world has gone after him. So, um, we're fast-forwarding from the birth of Christ to the end of the earthly ministry of Jesus was concluding, and all, all of history was literally pointing to this event, past and present. Hebrews 9, verse 26 says, Now once, at the end of the ages, he has appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. That's an interesting verse. You, you wonder... Where we are right now in the timeline, if, if Hebrews 9 says that it was the end of the ages, where are we now? My goodness, 2,000 years later. We've got to be close, right? And, uh, and, and, and so it says that, that at the end of the ages, Jesus appeared. First century Israel at this point was chafing under Roman occupation. It was a strong um, resistance movement called the Zealots. It was organized by, by a guy by the name of Judas, a different Judas than you know, uh, whose father was killed by Herod. He, they, they refused to pay taxes. They considered a religious duty to kill a Roman. Um, one of the disciples, interestingly enough, was Simon the Zealot. And uh, uh, by the way, that was the reason Barabbas was popular, was because he was a zealot. And, and so... Uh, it was kind of natural for them to, 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 to uh, choose, choose Barabbas. 
But alongside of all this that's happening, there's also an amazing, sovereign outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon Israel. It's a, it's a pre-Messianic outpouring of the Holy Spirit, preparing the hearts of people for the coming of Christ. So uh, there's a wild guy by the name of John the Baptist. I mean, he comes out of the desert. He comes out, out of the Essene movement, more than likely, because of his dress, because of his diet. We pretty well know that. And so he comes out of the desert, this wild young man, uh, cousin to Jesus, um, and, and, and he begins to preach. And amazingly, God uses him powerfully to the extent there's thousands of people feel the conviction of sin, and they, and they come to the Jordan River to be baptized by him. It, it was an Old Testament baptism of repentance. So, so uh, the Old Testament baptism of repentance looked towards the coming of a Christ, whereas now, baptism, of course, for believers, we look back to the finished work of Christ. And so this was, this was uh, an Old Testament baptism in preparation for the coming of the Messiah, a baptism of repentance. Uh, historians tell us that there was possibly as many as 20,000 people at a time that were coming out to hear John the Baptist in the wilderness as he's preaching. Amazing uh, national awakening that happened in Israel at that point. We probably haven't had a national awakening in America for probably 50 years, something like that. Uh, my view is probably the last national awakening that we had was the Jesus People Movement and the Charismatic Movement that kind of crossed and happened at the same time. Happened everywhere, all over the country, every parts of the country. We had little, um, little fires of revival here and there, but we haven't had a national awakening. Do you know where there's a national awakening right now? Well, two places I can mention. One is Russia. Um, you saw from our video, one million of our follow-up books were used. Well, now it's up to six million. It's just a tremendous outpouring of the Holy Spirit all over Russia. Thousands of people, very quietly, a very quiet move of the Spirit, in spite of the new laws in Russia that's outlawing evangelism. In spite of that, God is moving by His Spirit in Russia. And we're seeing thousands of people coming to Christ, and we're able to have a small part in that. We're not the head of that, or the, or, the, or the thrust of that, but we're able to support that with, with good follow-up materials that they're using all over Russia. So we praise God for that. Another place that you would never think that there is a national awakening is in Iran. Missiologists tell us that Iran, per capita, today, is the fastest-growing church in the world. <laughs> Isn't that amazing? I mean, you'd never choose that. You'd never look at that. You'd never see that. You can't see it on the surface. It's not visible. But, but the underground church is amazingly exploding in growth all over Iran. How many can say, thank you, Jesus? Amen. Isn't that wonderful? Praise God. So, so that, that was happening in Israel at this point, okay? This amazing outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So, so Jesus... Obviously, is baptized. John chapter 12, Jesus said, The hour has come. Galatians 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. So, so we see that that time had come right then. And God is always right on time. And the second coming of Christ will also be right on time. Right, right at the right time that God has ordained it to be. So Jesus is revealed 
at the, at the baptism by John. He teaches with unprecedented authority. Can you imagine what it was like to sit under the preaching ministry of Jesus? I mean, the Scripture reveals that he was given the Spirit without measure. Without measure. I mean, you talk about a blowtorch of anointing. Some of us have heard some amazing preaching through the year, but, but, but we have never heard preaching like Jesus preached. You can imagine, you know, people, people just being overwhelmed by the power of God as Jesus proclaims the word of God. Of course, demons, sickness, even weather, all subject to him. 5,000, 4,000 men plus women and children, all fed. Um, some try to make him king in that context in John chapter 6. At the same time in his hometown in Nazareth, there's others that are trying to kill him. And now it's the Passover. It's the time of the Passover. Jerusalem is bulging with people. Normally Jerusalem is a city about, at, at that point about 600,000 people. But, but when it came to Passover time, it was 2 to 3 million. So, so it's just packed with people. Packed with people. But Jesus isn't there. Jesus isn't in Jerusalem According to John chapter 10, he's 21 miles east of Jordan. And, and there he's preaching, he's teaching, he's ministering to people. People are responding, people are believing. Word comes to him uh, through a messenger that his good friend Lazarus is sick. And we see that in chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and, and, and her sister Martha. And it was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sister sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, this illness does not lead to death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, when Je now, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he came running. Is that what it says? No, when he, when, he, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two more days. Do you think, how many think that makes sense? It doesn't make any sense, right? Here, here's a close friend of Jesus. Jesus stays two more days. Uh, you know, but this, this, is a, this, is a, this is not an unusual reality. We see this all the way through the scriptures, very, very common. Confusing, but common. All right? Noah, Abraham. Joseph, Moses, you, <laughs> me, the reality of silence, the reality of, of, of great need, and at the same time, it doesn't seem that God is doing anything in the midst of great need. Pete Gregg is the founder of the 24-7 prayer movement. He started and actually didn't start in Kansas City. He actually started in England, and uh, uh, he wrote a book sometime back called God on Mute. Because we've all experienced that reality of the reality of, of, of seasons where it seems that God is silent. And that was true in this situation. Elizabeth Elliot, whose who's, uh, husband Jim, as well as four other young guys, were all killed uh, trying to reach out to the Yaka Indians way back in the 1950s said this I had to face up to the fact in those stunning losses that God was indeed sovereign. True faith is operative in the dark. Did you hear that? True faith is operative in the dark. If we have explanations, if things are simple and clear, there is not much need for faith. How many have discovered that life is a mystery? Huh? 
Deuteronomy 29 has been a real encouragement to me through the years. The secret things belong to God, but that which he chooses, he reveals. It doesn't reveal everything. There's a lot of mystery. There's a lot of mystery, but, but, but we do know something that's very, very clear. That in the midst of mystery, there's a sense of assurance and confidence that the love of God is always present. It's always present. Always present. Even for Lazarus, even in this situation, Lazarus' condition worsens. His fever rises, and I'm, I'm, I'm sure Mary and Martha were saying, Jesus, where are you? Where are you? And, 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 and all of a sudden, there's no breathing, and, and, and if you know anything about, about a lot of places in the world even today, uh, the funeral is immediate. Lazarus dies. The funeral is immediate. Time passes. They're numb with grief and, 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 and loss and death and confusion and silence, and, and, and they're saying, you know, where was Jesus in the midst of all this? Romans chapter 8 says this. And Paul says this on purpose. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Then he lists a number of things. All right? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. As it is written, for your sake we're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. In all these things, we are more than conquerors. In all what things? Distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, I am sure, that not even death, life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, Anything in all creation is able to separate us from the love of God. So when you experience a season of silence, when you experience a Lazarus, all right, when it seems that nothing is happening, Satan will roar in your ear. Satan has roared in my ear. He will roar in your ear, and he will say, where's your God now? Where's your God now? And it was for that reason that Paul writes Romans chapter 8. He is saying very clearly, never forget, nothing, nothing, nothing. I don't care how bad life may get. Nothing is able to separate you from the love of God. God loves you. Always embrace that. Always embrace that. In the darkest hour, God loves you. Finally, Jesus leaves Bethany, uh, leaves where he's at, the east side of Jordan, to go to Bethany, and he passes through Jericho. Mark chapter 10 tells us the story. Passes through Jericho, and on his, on his way through Jericho, there's a guy there by the name of, we know him as Blind Bart, Blind Bartimaeus, all right? And, and for, for Blind Bartimaeus, it's just another day of begging. But he's heard that Jesus is passing that way. And he begins to cry out, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Do you know what the word mercy is? Mercy is more than just compassion. I could, I could have, uh, if Pastor Andrew came to me and said, said Dave, um, I'm $500,000 in debt. You know, I, I, would, I would come to Andrew 
And I would say, I, I, I really feel bad for you. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry for you too, Sarah. <laughs> but that's not mercy. Because I can't do anything about it. <laughs> right? Mercy is compassion that has power. That, that, that just changed my life here just recently when I discovered that. Mercy is compassion. It's, it's the emotion of compassion, but compassion that has power. It is not just feeling sorry. It's compassion that has power. And, 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 and blind Bartimaeus was not just saying, Jesus, feel sorry for me. He was saying, Jesus, do something about my condition. Help me. Well, Mark chapter 10, uh, people were around him rebuking him. And, and the scripture in, in your Bible is, is very gracious, and it says that they, they told them to be quiet or to be silent. In the Greek, it doesn't say that. It means shut up. <laughs> shut your mouth. And so, so these people were standing around this guy that's crying out at the top of his voice saying, Jesus, have mercy on me. And, and, and they're saying, would you just shut up? And then Jesus stops. And Mark chapter 10 tells this story. Let me just read a couple of verses from there. Jesus stopped and called him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, get up, he's calling you. So change the attitude, you know, <laughs> the crowd. <laughs> I love this statement. And throwing off his cloak. See, back then... You just couldn't go on the street and close your eyes and saying, I'm blind and, and, and I'm begging for money. You couldn't do that. You had to be authorized. You had to be recognized. You had to be determined that you were, in fact, blind to be able to beg on the street. And so you had to wear a certain kind of cloak. The cloak identified him as an authorized blind beggar. All right? And I love this picture because before Jesus healed him, he did something. He threw off his identity as a blind beggar. Don't you love that? I love that picture. There's so many Christians that have never thrown off their own identity. Their, their old identity still somehow clings to them. They still, there's still some vestige of what they were that still hangs on in their lives. How many can relate to that? I mean, sometimes it's just even in your dreams, it comes back to you. I had a, I had a bad dream the other night. And I woke up and I thought, God, I, you know, this, and it had to do with the past. And, 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 I, and I just said to the Lord, I just want this to be done. <laughs> no more. I want to throw off the cloak. And this is what this guy does. And so he throws off the cloak. And, uh, and it says, let me find my place here. What verse am I on? 49. Okay. No wonder I'm in the wrong book. Might help if I get, get <laughs> where's the book of Mark? <laughs> I got it. Jesus stopped and said to him, 
and, and call him. And they called the blind man saying, take heart, get up. He is calling you and throwing off his cloak. He sprang up and he came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do? <laughs> and the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And I love this. And immediately, and immediately he recovered his sight. Immediately, he recovered his sight. There are many instances of immediately's in the Gospels where Jesus touches people immediately. But, but please note that in most of those cases, those immediately's were preceded by extended periods of silence. Extended periods of waiting. That's what Jesus talks about, asking ye shall receive, seeking ye shall find, knock and the door shall be opened. Keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking in the continuous present tense. Because we experience that where it seems that God is silent. But then, but then you keep praying and you keep believing and you keep asking and you keep knocking. <laughs> Amen. And then voila, and immediately, huh? So immediately he recovered his sight. Mark 1, immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Mark 2, immediately he picked up his bed. Mark 5, immediately her issue of blood was healed. Mark 5, again, immediately the girl that was dead sat up. Immediately. How many love immediately? Amen. You and me both. Bow your heads with me for a second. I'm not done yet. But you're here today, and you need... The touch of God. Maybe you need the touch of God in your body. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you just received a bad report from a doctor. Or maybe you've had an issue for a long, long, long time. And you desire the touch of God this morning. I just want you to stand up. I'm not going to have you come forward or anything else. just want you to stand right where you're at. You need the touch of God this morning. <laughs> Man, I tell you, I, I, I don't have to be prophetic when I ask something like this because I recognize that so many of us need the touch of God. <laughs> Would you just reach out towards the Lord this morning? Father, this morning, we don't come because, because we've got all the answers. And we don't understand everything that happens. And we don't understand that sometimes why things take so long. But Lord, we're thankful for the immediately's of God. We're thankful for the times that, Lord, you just reached out and, and immediately people were touched, Lord Jesus. And I pray that all over this room this morning, <laughs> we say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on people this morning. May you pour out your mercy today. God, we receive the mercy of God today, oh God. <laughs> we don't come to you because we deserve it. We don't come because we've earned it. We don't come because we've worked hard, oh Lord. We've come because we see that you are a God of all mercy. Hallelujah. Just say mercy. Have mercy this morning, Lord. We receive, we receive we receive the grace and the mercy of God today into our lives. 
We thank you for it this morning. In Jesus' name, praise God. You may be seated. Look for the immediately. Look for it. Look for it. Look for it. Pray for it. Continue to expect it. Praise God. Something happens this week in your life, in your body. Make sure that pastor knows. Make sure the church knows. So that there is a sense of faith that is built in the body of Christ because of what God is doing in the lives of people. So Jesus continues through the city. And as he's going through the city, he's almost out of Jericho. Now it's not a small crowd anymore because of blind Barnabas. Now it's a huge crowd. A guy by the name of Zacchaeus is this little, this little guy. Had a hard time seeing because of the huge crowd climbs up into a sycamore tree. Sycamore tree was a well-known tree of that day that uh, was, was primarily a tree that was a, a mighty large tree that was used primarily for timber. And uh, so this guy, Zacchaeus, climbs up in the tree. It, it, it's kind of interesting. Do you know what the name Zacchaeus means? <laughs> Pure and righteous one. I mean, this guy was just the opposite of that. I mean, his parents, when he was born, you know, he came into the world and his parents had great faith that here was going to be this, this wonderful little baby that would grow up into being a mighty man of God. And he turned out to be just the opposite. I mean, Zacchaeus was, was a tax collector. In fact, he's the chief tax collector. And in fact, tax collectors of that day, they, they couldn't even go into the synagogue. They were concerned, considered to be so evil and so, and, and so unrighteous. I'm wondering if he had a plaque on his wall that was a common Roman saying at that day. He probably did. The Roman saying is money has no smell no matter what cesspool is fished out of. And more than likely that was, that was his, if it wasn't on his wall, at least it was a part of his heart. Because <laughs> that's the way he lived. And here he's up in this tree and, and, he's, and he's got the $50 seats and he's feeling really good about his situation and he's, and he's watching the crowd and he's, 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 he's curious about this man Jesus and he's watching him and he gets closer and closer and closer and all of a sudden he's right underneath this tree and he thinks this is an amazing, amazing view for me and all of a sudden Jesus stops and he looks up to him and I'm sure Zacchaeus almost fell out of the tree. And Jesus isn't looking up at him in anger or in, or in a sense of where he's nauseated. I'm sure Jesus looks at him with a sense of kindness, love. And he says, come on down, Zacchaeus. I want to go to your house. And everybody goes, oh, doesn't he know who this is? You know? So he goes to Zacchaeus' house. Something happens to Zacchaeus in that moment. This all happens before Lazarus. <laughs> Something happens to Zacchaeus in that moment. And, and, and we know something happens because all of a sudden, Zacchaeus blurts out, half my goods I'm going to give to the poor, and anybody I've defrauded, I'm going to pay them back four times. Do you know what that it was? you know what happened to him? It was a beautiful spirit of repentance 
that came upon Zacchaeus in that moment. The presence of Christ. Beautiful spirit of, you know, that's, that's one of the beauties of coming together as the body of Christ for worship. We come into the presence of God. And many times for me, I've come into the presence of God, come into worship, and I felt like, God, I just, I just need to repent. <laughs> you know, because of something I said to Colleen or, or something else, you know. Spirit of repentance. Jesus responds to this, <laughs> you know. And I can almost see him laughing. He says, salvation has come to this house today. Beautiful. Wonderful. Bow your heads. It's a different kind of a message this morning. I'm not going to ask you to stand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to point you out. But you're here today. You're here today, and you need to repent. You need to repent of something. I just want you to raise your hand, just up and down. You need to yes, 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 all over. Yes. <laughs> Don't be ashamed. Lord, you told us if we confess our sin, <laughs> you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, and all of us corporately this morning together, we say, Jesus, forgive me. Would you just say that right out loud? Jesus, forgive me. <laughs> Thank you for the cleansing of the blood of Christ. Thank you for the price that you've paid so that we can be free from our sin. And Lord, we've messed up so many times. And so many times we've come to you. But Lord, you've promised us that when we come in honesty, genuinely, you will forgive us. And we receive your forgiveness, even as Zacchaeus received your forgiveness, even as salvation came to that house, Lord, we thank you that salvation and forgiveness and cleansing comes into our house, into our hearts, into our lives today, because we have asked you to forgive us. And we receive it by grace right now, in the name of Jesus. Would you just raise your hands to the Lord and just begin to say, thank you, Jesus. Come on, just just begin to thank the Lord. Lord, we thank you this morning. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for cleansing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Okay, I got about five minutes. Jesus finally makes it to Bethany. <laughs> it's been a long time. Lazarus has been dead four days. In fact, according to Jewish custom, according to Jewish custom, by the fourth day, they say the soul and spirit is gone by the fourth day. And it was for good reason, because the face was no longer recognizable. And once the face was no longer recognizable, the Jewish mind said the soul and spirit is now gone. No hope. No hope. <laughs> now let me, let me just say, you may have walked in here today and feel there is no hope 
No hope. No hope for you. No hope for your child. No hope. No hope. It's dark. It's thick with grief and loss and confusion. The funeral is long gone. Time is now past. And Jesus shows up. And Luke 11 tells the story. And let me just share a few verses. Verse 20. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Now let me, let me just say, Mar- Martha's always got the bad rap. Huh? The only thing you know about Martha is Luke 10. <laughs> you know? Martha's working in the kitchen and Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and Mary is the godly righteous one and, and Martha, Martha is kind of like, well, poor old Martha's out there working and she doesn't really get it. But the reality is, is that when it really gets tough, when the crisis is really there, who is it that shines? It's Martha, not Mary. Martha stays, even though Jesus has come, she can't come, she can't face him. She is too disappointed. She is too confused. It is too dark. But Martha comes. Martha said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. You know what that is? It's honesty. God wants you to be honest. But even now, I know whatever you ask from God, he'll give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said, I know he will rise again on the resurrection on the last day. Great theology. Jesus said to him, I am the resurrection of life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And she said, I love it. (laughs) This is before Lazarus is raised from the dead. No promise of miracles here. Jesus hasn't said anything about, I'm going to raise your brother from the dead, by the way. No, 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 no. Nothing. Nothing's been said. In her darkest hour, in her moment of deepest crisis, where it seems that Jesus was not there for her, Martha said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You! Don't you love that? We could applaud Martha today, huh? (laughs) Yeah, we could. Praise God. Way to go, Martha. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So let me, let me wrap this up because you get the point. It's a wonderful story, and we, we could say a lot more. Jesus says, where have you laid him? He's deeply moved. He's compassionate. He's touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Hebrews 4 tells him to take away the stone. He said, he's been dead four days. You really want to do that? Didn't I say if you believed, you'd see the glory of God? Don't let go. Don't let go. Don't let go. Jesus prays a very short prayer to the Father. I thank you that you've heard me, but for these people, we're going to do this. And then he cries out. And it's the same word that's used in 1 Thessalonians 4 when it says that the dead in Christ will rise. 
the shout. Then the Lord descends with a shout. It's the same word. And it means the shout of a large crowd. So Jesus didn't say, Lazarus, why don't you come out? He said, he shouted it. Lazarus, come out! And as Lazarus shouted it, Lazarus came out. Right? He's all bound up. He comes out, and people's knees are knocking, and people's mouths are wide open, and some people have fallen to the ground. They can't believe what's happening as they see this guy Lazarus come out, and Jesus says, come on, guys, let him loose. And I'm sure they're kind of like, woo, <laughs> what's going to happen now? You know, They begin to unwrap him. Jesus has an agenda. We don't always know what it is. Sometime our impossibilities continue. And that's mysterious for us. I pastored 35 years. I saw some miracles, but I had a lot of funerals. So I know that's the reality. But I know that Lazarus has still come forth. I know that there are still impossibilities that God changes. And I want to I close this morning by just praying for that. Would you all stand with me today? And the worship team, you can come. God, so many of us are facing impossibilities. We've prayed, we've sought you, we've tried to do the right things. We've stood on your word. But the impossibility is still there. And God, we will continue. We will continue to ask, seek, and knock. We will continue to look to you with confidence. We will continue to believe in the impossibilities can be turned into Lazarus who are raised from the dead. And right now, this morning, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you will turn impossibilities into resurrections. In the name of Jesus. If you need a miracle like that, just raise your hand to the Lord and say, God, I got an impossibility. Would you make it a resurrection? We're believing you for that right now in the name of Jesus. You are able. We are not, but you are. We trust you for that today. And as we sing together this morning, may your hearts be filled with faith to continue to believe God even in the dark. In Jesus' name, amen.